The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Today's scripture, today's scripture passage comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. This is the word of the Lord. Praise God, family. Praise God, family. <clears throat> I just, um, I think that what we demonstrated, I just want to take a moment to say, whenever we have moments in worship, because this entire time, this summer, we've been talking about worship. Let me tell you what Michael Davis does. I don't know what anybody else does, but when I hear repetitive language in our, in our, sermon, on our song, or I hear Adriana just kind of go into a riff, what happens is I don't need liturgy to tell me I need to start confessing sin. I just, what happens is I don't need anybody to tell me that I'm jacked up and things are going on in my life and that I'm a broken individual. So what happens is while everybody's singing and I hear everybody crying out to God, I begin to repent before Jesus. I begin to tell him, I know I don't have it right, and I'm about to go up and say some things, and Lord, I know that I'm not a perfect individual. I know I'm not the most intelligent person, and I, I have some problems in my life. Lord, can you forgive me for the things that are going on? And then I begin to praise him. And I begin to say, thank you, Lord, because I know what you've done on the cross is already finished, and I don't have to work out of here. I don't have to leave this place trying to work and do something for myself. And then I say, God, I receive your grace. And so let, let me just take a moment to say to y'all, if you would just stand to your feet and if there's some things that you want to lift your hands and give God praise for because what he's been doing or how he's forgiven you for your sins, just take a moment to say, God, forgive me. God, you are merciful and you are gracious and we know that there is none like you. You are the one who is able to bring us to your feet, Lord God. We plead the blood of Jesus. We plead the blood of Jesus for your healing power, your deliverance power. Some of us have struggled with porn this week. Some of us have struggled with fornication this week. Some of us have struggled with greed this week. Some of us have struggled with insecurity and lack of self-esteem. And God, we thank you, Jesus, because you remind us that we're children. When you just put your hands together for God, just say hallelujah. Cry out to him because he's worthy. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. God, you're worthy. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name, Lord. Oh God, you may, type, you may have your seat, you may have your seat. That's, that's just a practice, beloved, because this entire summer, summer, we've been going through a sermon series through the book of Psalms, trying to teach us how to praise God. I don't need Adriana to lead me to the throne room. I love her voice and she can run all day long. But I'm telling you, I know how to lament before God because he's taught me how to do it by his word. I know how to bless his name because he showed me through his psalmist. And so all I need to do is just take his word and use it in my life and apply it in my praise and apply it in my prayer. And right here in the midst of worship, I'm not looking at the words anymore because I'm saying something else before God. And I get corporate worship. I understand singing together. I understand the mystery that God does in uniting our hearts by the union of Christ and making us a powerful community together. But I also understand the fact that when God is working in individuals, he is also working in everybody because of the interconnectedness that we have as the body of Christ. 
What does the Bible teach us? Share in one another's burdens. Also sharing in one another's joys. This is a theological construct that we need as we worship God on a daily basis. Amen, somebody. Amen. Amen. I just wanted to say that um, to you guys because I know sometimes we can be confused on what's going on. Sometimes this is a little awkward, but I know that I want us to know how to worship God. Now we've gone through the book of Psalm, through a few Psalms, blessing and lament throughout this summer. And we called that cover. And the idea in which what we were trying to do is try to show us that God is covering us no matter where we are. He's not running from our mess. He's not afraid of our brokenness. He enters in with us and he's done it. And we bless his name for it. But now we were talking and we were thinking to ourselves, how do we get our people together this, this fall? What do we need the Lord to say to our folks? And what we came across is that we need to go through the book of Colossians. Because as uh, Sir Gregory has said already, we, we came across Lordship, but he missed it. We changed the title to Sola Christus. And you know what? We changed that title. We made it that because as we begin this sermon series, we want to get into the idea of we submit to what's supreme in our life. We submit to what is supreme in our life. That's the big idea throughout this entire sermon series. And when you think about what you have is supreme in your life, it can be money. Some of y'all been going hot girl summer and you trying to look for a man. Other of us, her brothers out here trying to look for a woman. Those things won't forgive, fulfill you. Some of y'all have been trying to, some of y'all like, what's hot girl summer? Don't even worry about it. It may be a generational thing, a cultural thing. Don't even worry about it, okay? I'm trying to cover the masses, okay? And so and, 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 but, but there are some of us who, who vacationed or did not get a vacation and you were able to experience an, a, a, a sense of rest. But then you may think that that's supreme in your life. If I just get enough time away. Some of y'all have been able to find your boo thing this summer. You may have dropped the knee. You may have found that person that you want to be with for the rest of your life. And you feel like that may, so, that may uh, so, uh, uh, reign supreme or, or fulfill you. But I'm going to tell you that won't do it. Some of y'all may have a baby this summer. And you may think to yourself, if I have this family, if I just have, if I have this life, then this is going to reign supreme. And I'm like, I'm telling you, the issue is where you're directing your hope. The issue is where you're directing your hope. It's not the corporate job. It's not retirement. It's not the 401k. It's not the life insurance, whether you get term or whole or universal. It's not who you have your bank account with. It's not how far overdrawn you are. What it is is, is who you have hope in. And Leslie, and, 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 and Henry Nowen has a phrase, he says this, hope prevents us from clinging to what we have and frees us to move away from the safe place and enter unknown and fearful territory. I'm going to say that one more time. Hope prevents us from clinging to what we have and frees us to move away from the safe place and enter unknown and faithful, I'm in fearful, sorry, territory. When we talk about Christ being the ruler of our lives, some of y'all don't realize how fearful that may be. You haven't seen Jesus. Some of you struggle theologically with whether these, are the, these canonical scriptures are really the God-inspired and full word of God. Some of you struggle with the person and the work of Jesus Christ, and you don't know if he was really the deity. And you, you stumbled into this place, or you've been coming for quite some time, and, and you're just saying, I'm trying to understand or see who he is. Some of y'all been walking with Jesus for so long that sometimes things get blurred. You don't know if he's walking with you. 
And so you're fearful. You don't know that he is the one that reigns over your life. And so you try to take control with your status. You try to take control of where you send your kids to school. You try to take control with the money. You try to take control with comfort. Some of y'all try to take control with sobriety. Some of y'all try to take control with your career. You have to fill in the blank of what you feel like you're trying to take control of and which it reigns supreme over your life. But I just want to let you know that if it's not Jesus, it will fail you. If it's not Jesus, it would fail us. Let's do some work, background work into what Colossians is telling us. We already know, some of us know that the book of the... The book of Colossians, many would, would argue whether Paul is written or not, but it's written to a young church that's in the, the Roman province of Asia. It's a city, it's modern-day Turkey. It's about 150 miles away from Ephesus. And what we might know is, is that Paul was in prison possibly when he was writing this letter. He was writing it to the people of God that was in Colossae. Colossae, at this time, was, uh, there were not a ton of churches. There were, had been a church plant by the efforts of Epaphras, who was a co-associate or a mentor under Paul. That's important to know because then we can always think that Paul planted every single church. He did not plant every single church. Paul had someone who he worked closely with to proclaim the gospel to a people who did not know Jesus Christ. In fact, some of us can think that in the first century, Christianity was just some booming word. It was not. Christianity was used. It was in its beginning stages. And in fact, they didn't even know what it was in doing this church plant. So, as, they are, as, as you think about this, there are boundaries that we often have that they didn't have because they did not understand what Christianity was. They didn't understand what it meant to follow Christ. In contrast, they had Colossian heresies, philosophies, and elemental spirits that were actually tempting them and trying to subvert the sound biblical teaching that was happening. But Paul wrote this to ensure that the church would be fortified and the gospel of grace would not be subverted from this young church. This false teaching came, but we don't know what Colossian heresies were because the historical research doesn't necessarily specify that this was heretical. But let me tell you a couple things that we may not be aware of that is heretical. Things that are heretical is to say that Jesus was not fully man and fully God. Things that are heretical is to say that this is not the inspired word of God. Those are a few things that we would say are heretical. But we believe that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three distinct individuals uh, in which we would call the Trinity and we believe that because <clears throat> that's what the Bible we believe that the Bible teaches us and so they did not have a conception a clear conception of Christian orthodoxy and they were intentionally they did not have intentional mark offs from all of these other religious gatherings but here's what they struggle with sound teaching sound preaching because these house churches that were planted by Epaphras, just imagine, just for a moment, Colossae, four or five centuries ago, was a, was a city that was booming. It was thriving. And in this thriving city, it was a large population. And after four or five centuries, there was no longer a ton of individuals. People began to migrate out of this particular area. And there were not as many Jews. There were about two to 3,000 Jews. And they were perceived to be the ethnic minority around the Gentiles that were particularly that were in that area. He's possibly planning this church, a small church. Many of us can think, oh, is this mega church status? Absolutely not. Think house church. Think community group. Think people, four or five people, maybe 10 people in your house and you are 
hearing teaching of the word of God in that perspective. I just want to say shortly that you this is what downtown church wants to be. We want to be a church planning church. We want to send, many of y'all know, Terrence and Ashley are, have already passed their uh, assessment and we want to send them out to plant churches. Amen, somebody. Amen, amen, amen. We want to send them out to plant churches. This is what's Paul's mission. We just don't want to hoard people. We don't want to just take people. We don't want to just see people come and people go. We want to see people transformed by the renewal of the gospel. I'm going to tell you something. Y'all looking at somebody that's been transformed. I didn't know Jesus when I came out the womb. My mama and my daddy did not know who he was. There were some things that were going on that I didn't know before my time. But somehow, some way, there was a woman named Sister Harsley, Vanessa Harsley, God rest her soul, she took us to a youth camp and I heard a brother Joe Middleton preach and something told me to walk up and lay hands on me and bam, I was transformed and in that transforming, I've never been the same. I've never been the same. Have I had bumps in the road? Absolutely. But I've never been the same. I want to see people walk into these doors who walk in and they walk out different. That's what we want to be about, a church, planning churches that do the, does the exact thing. And so when you think about this house, these church plants, which are probably about four small, small houses, which cannot be confused for my biblical scholars with Philemon's house. Uh, he was a member of a house church in the same area, but these were four different house churches. And I want you, can I get the picture of that? I want you to think about an ancient um, synagogue, home synagogue in the way in which this picture is demonstrated. It's probably too small for y'all to see. Somebody, if you got your readers, go ahead and put them on and may help or whatever. But I want you to think about, sometimes we can think about a synagogue just being this temple, but that's not necessarily what happened in areas where Jesus, I mean, uh, 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 where, yes, where Christianity was not uh, planted. And so you had someone this, 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 we could call it a crib, we can call it a house, we can call it whatever we want to call it, right? But typically, what you've seen was that people who were wealth, they had a home like this. People who did not have means had smaller homes. But you can see right in the middle, there were people meeting in that synagogue, in that area where there were rabbis, visiting rabbis, and even Paul was doing healing and miracles right here in homes like this. And they were teaching God's word. And as they were teaching God's word, you see people who are cooking, you see people that are working, you see bedrooms, all of these things are happening around, and so it's a community that is actually um, a, a, in the house of someone where you had prayer and you had reading and teaching of God's word. During the first century, a lot of assemblies looked just like this. During the first century AD, a lot of assemblies looked just like this. I hope this gives you good context to understand how the Bible was, I mean, how the word of God went forth in an area like this. Someone going out into the streets, highways and byways, actually teaching God's word and proclaiming the goodness and people asking, what is this good news and what are we to do with it? And so you not only had a home like this, but you also going to what we, what we desire to be a cross-ethnic cross-class, cross-generational church, you had Jew and Gentile in here. So even when you get to Colossians 3, where he is talking about Jew and Gentile, and then you look right up there to slave quarters, bond servant, when he's talking about barbarian or skating, these people are all in this living room. Sometimes when you hear preachers kind of give the analogy of who's in your living room, who's at your dinner table, things, it kind of comes from a concept like this, right? 
And so when you look at that, that's the same way you can visualize your house where you have, where you see individuals who want to come into your home because you're loving and you're welcoming. But the most of all, you're sharing the most important news that they can ever know. Now, I hope this background is helpful because when you think about false teachers, think about somebody coming into here trying to teach something else. See what I'm saying? It wasn't as if somebody walks in, which today, what I understand through Hebrew Israelites or uh, Egyptology and Nuwapianism, there are Hebrew Israelites walking into churches that are not sound biblical churches and challenging pastors right there in the middle of service and trying to take over churches. Present day. And so you can see people coming here with Colossian heresies, philosophies, and other elemental spirits trying to trying to subvert the gospel of grace um, from a Christian body of believers who believe that Jesus was the, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's hard. It's difficult. Because as they, as they enter into these places, you're also trying to deconstruct. Some people believe things and they're trying to merge them together. Oh, I, I can have, you know, everybody always heard of the phrase Christianity uh, plus or Jesus plus. And so that same concept and notion is what we see here when you look at philosophy or you look at elemental spirits. I'm going to go into, philo- when you look at philosophy, it's the Colossian heresy. So Gnosticism, Judaism, mysticism, asceticism, mystery cults. All of these things were influencing through ancient tradition. But this was what I found what was interesting. Uh, the elemental spirits. Spirits, the elemental spirits were really interested in me because you hear earth, wind, and fire, and I'm not talking about the singing group, okay? But those, those things were elements of worship as pagan gods. But when they found out about angels, you know what they begin to do? They begin to worship angels. So when you listen to a song like So Will I, sometimes you can get distracted by trying to worship the stars, Right? That's kind of the You can get distracted by worshiping things that God created. And we always heard, don't worship the created, worship the creator. But in a way in which you were taught through elemental spirits that these things were supposed to merge, you, people in this day thought that, oh, I can bring those things together. And this can also be supplemental to the gospel of grace. That's not so, beloved. Y'all look at me like, man, what is he talking about? How does this apply to modern day? This applies to modern day because I believe there are belief systems that we've adopted over time that causes spiritual toxicity. Sometimes you, how many, how many germaphobes we have in here? You know, you, you know, germaphobes, you, you, you're not only, you know that, okay, that there's bacteria on absolutely everything, and you know that you cannot dodge everything. Right? Some bacteria is good for your immune system to strengthen it. Other elemental bac- other, um, external bacteria is not so good for your system. And if it gets to your immune system, depending on how weak your immune system is, what will it do? Compromise you. Kill you. Slowly. I believe that there are toxic doctrines, value systems, and belief systems that have slowly been killing people in the church. Some of it looks like God bless America. Other, other things look like other propaganda that we continue to add to the gospel because we think that that's core to it. Me-centeredness, self-justification, perfectionism. And it was this new thing that's been going on for about, nine, about 10, 10 or so years. It's called moralistic therapeutic deism. 
Let me tell you exactly what that is and what that belief system consists of and which we've heard, which I've heard of this oftentimes. And many of us, particularly in the South, can be like, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm doing everything fine. Everything's good. I believe in God. But he, he, let me walk through this, these five little things that God exists. If you, if this, sometimes people believe in moralistic therapeutic deism or have a system and they're not aware of it. So God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Deism, okay? God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other. Sometimes they can sound like coupled with justice, right? You're trying to put justice in there and you're trying to make sure that that's okay. And that is as taught in the Bible and by most world religions, moralism. And number three, you see that it says center, the center goal of life is to be happy. You know, uh, what's, uh, I just want to be happy. You see what I'm uh, Not just want to be happy. Oh, happy day. Whatever. For real. That's the song I'm thinking about. You just want to be happy, and your life is about being happy and feeling good about oneself. That's therapeutic. But then, four, you see, God does not, does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is um, needed to resolve a problem. You're using God. That's it. And then, five, God, good people go to heaven when they die. Universalism. All of these things, a lot of times we believe, or maybe one of these things we believe, and we add it to the gospel. We add it to the gospel. And this belief system deceives us into thinking that we're actually Christians. And the illusion that it creates is that I could be complacent, or this is pseudo-satisfaction. If I make God okay, then I'm okay. Transactional. And you are deeply sad and depressed. You're, you're breaking down every single day. You're struggling in your marriage because you just want to be happy. You just want things to work out. And, but, but you find and you hide yourself in places where you cannot be vulnerable and weak before others. Your tribalism begins to supersede your identity in Christ. Many of these things begin to supplant the gospel because we are trying to work at it. Will you stop working? And let God do the work. Will you stop trying to transform yourself and let him transform you? When you fall to your knees, when you actually worship God, will you allow those things to happen? Because your belief system is compromised when you do not allow God's grace to take over your life. If other things do it and not Christ alone, hinting to the title of this entire sermon series, What's going to happen? These things are not sufficient. These things will not work out. Your performance is not good enough. You'll never be a great mom, as great as a mom as you hope. Your kids will never follow every single rule that you want them to follow. You always feel guilty because you don't get it right. You always struggle with forgiving yourself because you got it wrong. You always be trying to earn something to God or the deadly bees be what you want to be or be what you ought to be. But the only thing you ought to be is like Jesus. Allow the miracle working, transforming power of his grace to work in your life. Here's the main idea. Here's what I want you to tagline, take home, write down, think about, discuss at your dinner table, talk during lunch. This is what I want you to think about. We need to find out what, who, whatever in life reigns more supreme than Jesus in our life. We need to find out what reigns supreme in our lives.
That's what you need to begin to analyze. Why? Because we don't want to assume that, I don't want to assume throughout this entire series that you, each of us, all of us in this room, makes God our sole purpose in life. I don't want to assume that. Assuming gets me in trouble, right? I don't want to assume that everybody understands God's grace and that you have been, that's been offered to you. I don't want to assume that. Because some of us come from backgrounds, some of us come from churches that we don't, we've never heard of God's grace. You feel like a failure right now because your marriage has fell apart. You feel like a failure right now because your son or daughter does not believe in Jesus. And so your whole life is dependent upon what if something happens to reveal God. But God said, I reveal myself through my word and what I'm doing to you on a daily basis. And the third thing is we want to be transformed by uncovering God's transcendence, his supreme being, but yet an imminent reality of the salvation that we have solely in and through Christ, right? <clears throat> so we look, at chapter, we look at chapter one and we're only looking at verses one and two. You're like, oh my goodness, just verses one and two? Absolutely. Why? Because if I believe that God's word is inerrant, if I think his word is all inspiring, then I think that what Paul is saying, even in his greetings, is important for us to understand as a church. The first thing he says is Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus in verse one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Many times you've heard Paul open up his letters with the same exact thing. But I tell you this, if I wrote you a letter and it just said from Michael Davis and you received a letter in the mail and you read my letter, you'd be like, okay, it's from Mike, right? But what if I wrote a letter saying that I was writing it with the power or the authority from some dignitary? When you see his or her name, what would happen? It would pique your interest. You would know that the authority that I have, though that it may not derive from me, the authority that I have comes from some dignitary that tells me that I can speak on their behalf. Paul is saying particularly that that's what he has. Anybody ever had taken their child to somebody's house to be babysat or you see their kid, your kids playing around? I always tell my son, if so-and-so tell you, tell their kids to do this, they're telling you to do this. And so what I'm saying is they're empowered to give you a spanking, okay? And so he understands that if they say something wrong, that he's in trouble. I'm giving them the authority to correct him. And some of y'all understand, like, if you had that neighbor who had the opportunity to spank you when you did something wrong, you're like, oh, my God, why they got to spank me? Because they have the same power that's been given to them by, their, by your parents. So Paul is saying in this Roman province, I'm an apostle. Of Jesus Christ. I have the authority because he's called me. What does it mean to be an apostle? Three key indicators. Eyewitness of the physical Christ. Personal commission by Christ. Remember when Paul, an apostle, literally meaning sent out one. One that was sent from Jesus Christ. He was not only sent out, but I want you to get this. He was sent out to a particular people. Who? Gentiles. Sometimes we can feel guilty because we desire to be a multi-ethnic church, a multi-class or cross-class, cross-ethnic. We desire to be diverse in our respect. And sometimes we think that, oh, we shouldn't make it about that. Yes, we should, because we believe God has called us to bring the gospel to multiple people. Our evangelism should be diverse. I remember when I was working as a janitor. Yes, I used to work as a janitor. I used to clean, scrub toilets, and do all of that stuff. And I used to work as a janitor. I used to read the King James Version too, right? I used to think that was the inspired word of God. 
like uh, outside of the Greek New Testament, all that good stuff before I went to seminary. And I had a brother that was working with me. He was older than me. And we got to talking and I shared my testimony. He's older than me. When I was, when I was young, I always, as a teenager, I was fascinated how God gave me the opportunity to share the gospel across generations. I would, he, we would sit and do Bible study on our lunch. I didn't know what I was talking about. I was just telling him, I know Jesus. I know Jesus. Let me tell you. Let me take you to John because I know Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I don't want to tell you nothing else outside of that, but I believe in Jesus. I don't know a lot about the Old Testament, but I believe in Jesus. So, and he was addicted to drugs. He, was, he told me his story, and I remember seeing God transform him slowly, even though that my infant mind, from a biblical standpoint, drew him. It, I mean, it wasn't on my infant mind. It was the gospel that drew him because all I knew was the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ could save. I was sent. Even in that job, I was sent. When I worked at Sears, I was sent. When I was on a football team, I was sent. When I was in college, I was sent. Sitting in the dorm room, I told my best friend, I said, man, I can't, I can't stop reading the Bible, man. I, I, I did it for so long, I thought I was going to come here. I thought I was going to turn up. I thought it was going to be all of this good stuff, and I was going to leave Jesus at home. I thought that I was going to do all of these things, and we began to read our Bibles, right? King James, I'm still reading the King James at this time. We're reading our Bibles, and somebody comes in our dorm room. Y'all reading the Bible? Beecham, I'll never forget. He was a defensive end. Y'all reading the Bible? I was like, yeah, we reading the Bible. And then Bruce said, man, I had this crazy dream. I was smoking some weed, and man, I, I was descending into hell. It was crazy. I need to read the Bible. It turned from four of us reading the Bible in our dorm room to 20 of us reading the Bible at the bottom of the athletic dorm. People was asking, what are you doing? What, oh, y'all got a Bible study going on. And I was telling people, I don't necessarily have a Bible study going on, but we talking about the Bible. And here's where you can meet me. And then InterVarsity said, look, it looked like you got a bunch of black people reading the Bible. So could you come over here? And that's, I think, where God started the diversity of ministry. Could you come over here and have them read the Bible too? But here's the point. Here's the point. People were transformed by God's word. Sometimes we can overthink evangelizing and sharing the gospel that we don't share God's word. We don't share our testimony. We don't share our death to life. So we're sent out just like Paul. We may not be apostles where we are, we've eyewitnessed, but we are sent ones. And as a church, we need to be intentional with what God has commissioned us. Every time you receive the benediction and you hold your arms out, knowing that you are sent by the power of the word of God in order to go out into a lost world so that you can share the goodness of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's important, beloved. And then he says, what? Because you have Epaphras who's proclaimed this boldly. He says, it's by the will of God. It's by the will of God. That God gives us the power and order. Oh, I didn't give you out a third thing that makes an apostle. So I told you, eyewitness, physical um, of Christ, and then personally commissioned. Y'all, I ain't preached in a month, so I'm excited. Commission, personally commissioned by Christ, and then give, um, you've been given the power to work miracles, 1 Corinthians 12. That's how you identify an apostle, big A, from a biblical standpoint. But then he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, by my own will, by the will of the particular dignitary at that particular time. No. What, God, what Paul says is that in this small little phrase, 
that God had an entire redemptive plan in his will to make me one who would die for him and lay my life down. And by that will, his redemptive plan is saving me from the wrath of sin so that I may be able to tell others what's happened. Even though that he was the same individual killing Christians, watching Stephen being stoned, God transformed him on the road of Damascus. And he's saying that that love and that mercy that I've experienced, I want to empathize with you and let you know I'm a poor sinner. I want to empathize you and let you know that God is using me, this poor sinner, as an instrument. Some of y'all don't think that you can be used. Some of y'all think you've done something so bad. You've been to prison. You stole from somebody. You don't think God can use you. But can I tell you something? It was in Genesis 1 that he told you that he was good, or Genesis chapter 2 that he told you he was good. That you were good? Genesis chapter 1 that he told you you were created in his image, in his likeness. Nobody can take your value, inherent worth, and dignity that you have. Nobody can strip that from you. There's no ideogram, no uh, Myers-Briggs, no strength finders, no any of, none of those things can tell you who you are like Jesus. And give you the value that you need. And Paul is saying that. And what he is saying is if you would just take a quick glance to, to, of what happened over my life, God's providence has brought me to this point. I want you to look at the person next to you and say, God's brought me here. Do you believe that God has brought you here for this time by his will that you're at downtown church hearing his word preached to you no matter where you are in life? Just to put a stop sign and say, if you would just stop and trust in me. It's in my historical redemptive plan. It's in my plan that I will make you a change agent for my work. That's what he is saying. And then he's saying to the saints in verse 2. To the saints and the faithful brothers in, the, in Christ at Colossae. Some of y'all can think like, okay, what is he saying with the saints? How many of you know what a saint is? A saint is someone who's holy one, set apart. And it's not this idea where he's saying that y'all are set apart from all of the other people that are giving heresies, philosophies, and elemental spirits. You're not supposed to be of this world. Many of us have taken this and said that I'm not going to be of this world. I'm not going to evangelize. And it's caused us to think in poisonous ways because we don't realize that we've been commissioned to be in the world. Jesus says they're not of this world because we are his, but you realize the idea of it is, is that at the same time he's commissioned us to share of his good news. Some of y'all don't want to be around certain people, but can I tell you the misconception is, is that as Christians, we need to be around broken people. We need to be around prostitutes. We need to be around those who are struggling with generational poverty. We need to be around those who are struggling from the boardroom all the way to the trap house. We need to be around those who are struggling with the wealth gap. We need to be around those from the womb all the way to the tomb. Why? Because we believe what's happened inward in us is an outward working expression of what we hope happens in someone else. Don't try to remove yourself from areas and spaces, thinking that that's going to keep you holy as a saint. Paul is saying, continue to fight the good fight of faith, but do it with sound doctrine and sound teaching. But don't leave brokenness, immerse yourself in it. 
This is why we were created to be faithful stewards of all of creation. This is why God is using you not to escape problems. The escapist mentality is to try to find your own shalom. It's try to create areas in your life, whether that's where you live, whether that's what you do, so that you, yourself, can protect your family. You can have your security. You can create your safety. You can create your peace. But that's the idea that you can't create it. As saints of God, we're the ones that dictate it. Did did, did I miss y'all with that one? Amen, somebody. You realize that you are one bearing something. And that's what he is saying to the faithful brothers and sisters in Colossae. You are bearing something. And in bearing it, you need to be a witness of it. That redemption brings wholeness. This is why he says, grace and peace to you. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Some of y'all are like, okay, he's just telling them, see y'all, I'm going to see y'all. Keep reading what I'm saying. That's not what he's saying. Because he's experienced it. If you were to think about the fact of what you experienced, if you were to just go to somewhere and you eat steak or you eat a great meal, do you just simply eat it and then walk out of that place? Or do you call the chef out and slap him and say, I love that? Some of y'all know that you have tasted things, experienced things that have been so enjoyable and good that you've had to tell people, is God that good to you? Is his grace that real to you? In order to be aware of the gospel of grace, you have to be aware of what you've been doing. And that is some of y'all have been working too hard. And the toxic shame that you have from trying to pursue all of the pressures of life are trying to win your life over because you think that this, your best life now happens when, when you get to a certain status. Can I tell you that's not what happens? You'll struggle with the pay. To, I'm okay with you struggling paycheck to paycheck as long as you understand the gospel of grace. I'm okay with you being a stay-at-home mom and not having it all together as long as you understand the gospel of grace. I'm okay with you being a CEO and being in high positions and being on boards and being in other lofty spaces as long as you understand the gospel of grace. I'm okay with you being in ministry and trying to pursue, trying to tell people about Jesus. I'm okay with you pursuing pastoral ministry as long as you understand the gospel of grace. Because what the gospel of grace says is that this is a love that is expressed to you in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That you don't deserve it, but he's given it to you. You didn't earn it, but he died for it. And this gospel of grace accepts you. Not your moral performance, but it accepts your failures. Some of y'all are so broken that you don't believe God can accept you and your failures. But can I tell you, no matter where you are, I've seen the Lord pull people out of drug houses and save them. I've seen God help people who've had corrupt ways and save them. Why is that important? Because they begin to understand that there's nothing that they can do in their own power and their will. If they lose control, God has them. I would just say fail for Jesus because he paid it all. Grace This gospel of grace satisfies you like no other thing. This gospel of grace gives you rest like no other person. Why is this important for a time such as this at Downtown Church? Because I know as a community, beloved, 
There are so many different things that we adopt to our lives and make supplement to the gospel that we don't trust in the grace, that we don't share our stories in community group. We don't want to be in community. We run from community because we are afraid of God's grace. Or we're afraid of what's going to be revealed. But can I tell you that it is this grace that will work in your life and transform you forever. And so the very hope that you have, remember what I said at the beginning by, by Henry Nowen? That is this hope that actually causes us to, to have a freedom, right? To walk in this fearful territory. If you were to just take this journey for the next several months, next several weeks, I believe that God, Christian or non-Christian, skeptic or believer, I believe God will work in your life. Because the hope that you have, the hope that you have is not one that comes from any other individual. But if it's built on Christ, instead of you trying to sit on his throne, trust me, if you sit at his feet, he will fill you. He will guide you. He will empower you enable you and make you a child of the king like no other thing can be can make you will you stop struggling and trust in his grace father we love you and we thank you because your word is true and it renews our minds every day we pray that this sermon series is one that will move your people to help them see that the things that bring supreme in their life oftentimes cause us to struggle cause anxiety, cause pressures. But if we were to see the awesomeness of God, if we were to see the awesomeness of God through this, through your word, and through our lives, through community, Lord Jesus, I pray that if we were to see it, that it is be the very thing that moves us from trying to work out our salvation and earning it to working it, knowing that you've already done the work. And so the fear and the trembling that we have is in reverence to you and is to honor you and to know that you are our God and we are your people. It's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. All God's people said together.